So Taskmaster is obviously a very successful show, and I thought I would just kind of expand a little bit on what the discussion was that I did last time. So first off, it's important to sort of understand the origins of the show. So part of it was that Alex Horn, back in 2010, Alex Horn is, of course, the assistant or co-host of the actual show in the UK, he actually started this out back in 2009, 2010, and 2011, doing this basically as a live show, where instead of having video of the events, this was like part of Edinburgh Fringe, which, if you don't know, is an absolutely massive comedy festival, where basically comedians by the truckload descend on Edinburgh for, like several days and it's sort of like a film festival except for live comedy acts and a lot of people will really just give their all just to be there and then if you actually are like one of the top rated performers by the critics that go around to these different shows you'll actually get like a prize you'll get like an award you won't get a cash prize necessarily, but your name will be published and you'll get a lot more gigs and your agent will be very, very happy. So that's one of the reasons why. It, it really does set you up very well. Um, some examples of people who have won Edinburgh Fringe um, include like Eddie Izzard back when uh, she was an up-and-comer and back when she wasn't quite fully hatched as uh, a... Uh, trans person well anyway so this was actually a live show with just a slideshow where they would talk through it and the whole point was that they were like humorous slides and it was and they would talk through like what they did for the different tasks so um one particular uh task was find a hedgehog which is relatively easy i guess in the uk it's not so easy here in the united states and um you know, there might be just one person set this particular task, while uh, in others, they would have multiple people given, like, a relatively easy task that anyone could do. So, for example, send Alex a large Christmas present in the mail. So, um, one contestant named Steve Hall sent ten copies of a book by Eddie Large. Uh Dan Atkinson sent a load of bubble wrap. Mike Wozniak, uh, who, along with Atkinson, were two people who actually ended up being on the BBC show, the, uh, the, the actual television show, uh, sent in uh, a wooden plinth attached to a 40-meter-tall ice sculpture. So that's actually pretty dang tall. But uh, I don't know how you'd put that in the mail. Uh, and then someone gave Alex a subscription to uh, big and bouncy adult uh, material. So I can only assume that that's probably uh, a magazine or something with big, beautiful women. Okay. Well, it's interesting just to note all of this because that's kind of the origin of the show. When I noted in my last recording that Taskmaster would not work in the United States, I had neglected to really do my research because it was attempted in the United States. In 2018, Avalon Television, uh, a production company, 
produced Taskmaster uh, for Comedy Central in and it uh, ran from April through May. So this is just a show that ran for uh, barely two months. And Americans are not used to that. So this is an important concept that I need to discuss. Uh, Americans are used to having a series that runs from fall, roughly around the start of the school year, right through spring, roughly when school ends. And then we might have summer reruns or some shows that are only aired in the summer. So uh, there, there are different examples of that. Warehouse 13, as I re recall, was uh, a summer show. For a while there, um, the Sci-Fi Channel would air summer reruns and call it Sci-Fi World, and each day of the week you would have a different type of sci-fi, like you might have a horror sci-fi show, and it would just be a marathon of a particular popular sci-fi horror show from uh, decades past that they had the rights to air. So this was a relatively cheap way of filling up their summer programming. Uh, I know that in one particular one, they did uh, Battlestar Galactica all day. They did Space Above and Beyond all day. And it was a great way just to binge watch a series for the better part of a day uh, if it was too hot to go out or if uh, you, you didn't really have anywhere to go or something like that. And I remember back when I was a teenager, I really didn't have anywhere to go. So that was one way to do it. But in the UK and most of the world, there really aren't too many regular shows that they produce year-round, aside from the news, and maybe some series like Crime Watch and others like that. But if it's light entertainment, like a sitcom or something like that, you generally don't get an episode every week. This is a very odd concept to a lot of Americans, that a show would just run for, like, so many weeks, and then people would go, like, is it canceled? What? What's going on? The odd timing of it is the enemy in this particular case. So the U.S. version only ran for one season, and one of the problems was that they ran it in 30-minute episodes, whereas the U.K. show on which it was based was 45 minutes long with advertisements. I forget if it was on BBC or ITV, but I think it was ITV. No, I remember. It was Channel 4. It was Channel 4. Uh... Anyway, and Channel Channel 4 in the UK, BBC 4, sometimes has advertisements as a way of supporting it. Basically, each channel on the BBC is a different tier. So, like, Channel 4 is a more premium channel than Channel 1. So BBC 1 will have a lot more basic programming, but they still will have very popular programs. So if it moves up to a more premium channel or something like Dave, which is sort of a partnership deal that um, is kind of a streaming service and things like that, uh, it can work a little bit differently. But one of the advantages of uh, shows like QI and uh, Taskmaster and other series like that being on Dave was that you could watch it any time. So this made a lot of sense and got around a lot of issues that the BBC was having at the time for people wanting to watch and rewatch BBC programming, but without having to wait for it to come on and without watching it like through some kind of less than legal source. All right, so 
for the American version, they actually had Alex Horn as the assistant, which to me is a bit like when they tried to produce the U.S. version of Red Dwarf, and they wanted to have David Llewellyn as Crichton on that series as well. So he was Crichton on the first show, and then he was, and then they were just introducing him in the first episode. They were completely rewriting the show. So to explain a little bit more about this, when a show goes international, that is a huge moneymaker for the series creator. There was an, an entire documentary about this for uh, when Everybody Loves Raymond went off the air about exporting it to Russia, not as a series with dubs and translations like you do with The Simpsons or Family Guy or something like that, but actually having a whole new cast on a set and everything doing their own version of different episodes that have been adapted from American scripts and even writing original episodes, but because they're basing it off of that it makes a lot of money for uh, not just the local producers who have localized their own version of it, but also uh, they're they're making a lot of money for the series originators who came up with it. One notable example of this that's a bit more contemporary than Red Dwarf USA is Just Call Me Cat, which is based on the popular series Miranda, created by Miranda Hart. So if you haven't watched that show, oh my God, it is one of the funniest, sweetest shows that you could ever watch. Uh, I had been watching Miranda Hart and various things for years. She originally got her start out doing comedy while she was working as a social worker of all things. So, you know, this has been a huge change for her as she's moved up in the acting world. She's been on uh, Call the Midwife, uh, which is a popular uh, period drama about uh, nurses and midwives in the early 20th century, dealing with various issues from day to day. And eventually she got to be too big for that series and uh, had to move on, but she's occasionally made guest appearances or cameos or something like that. But she's written books. She's been a very prominent uh, person in a lot of different areas of comedy in the in the uh, English-speaking world, especially in the UK. But a lot of Americans don't necessarily know about her, and she's not what you would call conventionally attractive, which is a huge problem for Americans because we want our funny people to be conventionally attractive, which I find problematic because you could have someone who is absolutely hilarious and someone in our studio system would consign that person to being a writer or uh, maybe a ghostwriter on someone's comedy or something like that. They wouldn't actually be able to go up and do the comedy bits themselves on stage with people. So, yeah, we're, we're very shallow as a culture. So with that said, what about the U.S. version of Taskmaster? Um, well... It, they, they, they ran it for 30 minutes, but the re, one of the ways that they did this was they cut out the prize task, which is one of the most important parts of the formula. If you watch the UK version, you'll quickly learn that each episode opens up with a prize task, which is you don't win money on this show. 
at all. You don't win anything, really. You win, like, very cheap uh, prizes uh, overall, and those prizes are provided by the contestants. So it's like a prize pool that you win per episode. And I don't even know if you actually win them or if it's just, like, a gag that they do. But here's the thing. So, like, in one particular instance, they had a, a, a thing where you brought in the best thing to sit on. And uh, one woman brought in a washing machine because they vibrate and shake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was a little bit naughty. Uh, another person brought in like a whole bunch of little uh, boob lifters, the little silicone rubber ones that you tuck in under your boobs to give them a little bit of a lift in your bra. And that was relatively cute. And then... Another person brought in an electric toothbrush inside of a pillow because it would vibrate. So there were people who did that, and then there were people who brought in just a chair or a beanbag. So that works. But one of the things that that does is it gives a chance for people to warm up a little bit as they get into the show. When I first saw the show, I wasn't sure what the heck to make of it. And that was part of the thing. You have to be willing to commit to what the spirit of the show is. These games that they get into, these tasks, are essentially like uh, the stupid stunts and challenges you might do on a boring weekend at like the dorms or at camp, if you or, or at home for that matter, if you had like a bunch of things like eggs or something like that, or rubber ducks. And you just wanted to, like, cure the tedium a little bit, you know, and pass the time. But in the U.S., when you're at the dorm or the frat house or at home as an adult and you want to cure the time, you usually play video games, you usually drink. Uh, we don't generally do actually interesting stuff. And part of the fun of it is that you see a person looking a bit silly. Maybe you admire their cleverness for how they get around something. And the actual series of Taskmaster has a lot of people figuring out little loopholes, paying attention to some of the little tricks that they'll put into things as a way of just kind of getting around all of it. So it does have a lot of appeal, but you have to be a person who's just not seriously seriously into competition and just be willing to be silly and in america we take competition way too seriously we we play to win as we say and it's like instead of playing to have fun and as a clevelander i totally get it because cleveland sports is not about winning <laughs> you grew up in in the cleveland area you don't you don't watch sports to see your team win. You watch your sports to see them play well, because that's the best thing. So it's very much about good sportsmanship. And that tends to be a running theme throughout the UK version. Even when they, you know, like there might be a little bit of like nasty banter between one or two contestants. I remember at one point, uh, Russell Howard, in order to get around a particular challenge in which he had to find a, um, he had to find his way from a random location back to 
the Taskmaster house. He called his agent and got a ride and borrowed a hat. And he wasn't he didn't have a watch or a phone or anything, but he had to do it as close to 30 minutes from then as possible. And then later in the episode, uh, another contestant, uh, when they were competing and he didn't quite think that a particular he didn't think that she was like playing fair because she was already starting or something like that. She said, why don't you call your agent about it? It was like, wow, that was mean spirited. And it was just kind of weird. Uh, but that's about as mean spirited as the show actually has gotten. It's meant to be light entertainment. So it's not meant to be this kind of hostile show where it's like, oh, we're playing to win. No, there's a reason why the prizes for that are started up in the prize task part of the series, part of the episodes are always just, you know, random garbage or whatever, you know, just whatever people bring in to best represent whatever it is, like your slipperiest thing, your, um, the thing that you would hate to give the taskmaster or something like, so there's lots of things like that where it's meant to be all in good fun. It's meant to be kind of tongue in cheek. It's, it's not meant to be like super heavy or intense. And the prize task is an important aspect to that. The people have to, the different contestants have to justify what they're bringing in to best represent the concept that they were given for whatever it is. And that gives us a chance to sort of see who they are. It warms the audience up to these different individuals so that then when we go back to this video footage of them undertaking these different challenges, we get a better sense of who they are. It warms us up to their personalities. If you just run it for a half an hour with just them looking at that video with like them reacting a little bit to the competition or something, it's not going to quite feel right. And as a result, it, it, it'll end up feeling a little bit off because you don't really know who these people are. You haven't warmed up to them and it's just not going to resonate the same way. And Americans, as I said, do not appreciate having this strange a concept just dropped on them and then having the show not run for very long. So the Taskmaster that they chose for uh, the series was Reggie Watts, better known as the announcer and band leader for James Corden on The Late Late Show. And that is no judgment against Reggie Watts at all. You know, I'm not saying that he couldn't do it. I haven't seen the episodes. I haven't seen the series. It's still under license from Comedy Central. But I can tell you right away that having a man of color giving orders and deciding over white people would not fly with a lot of audiences. I mean, let's just face it. America is racist. We're shallow. We're money-driven. We're, we're highly competitive. And we're racist. So I don't think very well of us on, on some levels as a culture. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I personally try to be very different. Uh, but in this particular instance, they chose someone who probably did very well. He probably did his best. And a lot of the comedians were probably prompted by the producers and by Alex to do their best at actually making something of it. 
But one of the problems is, is that they had to go with Alex Horn as the assistant. They could not just have someone else step in. And I think that that's an important element. You have to have someone who's the assistant who actually is sort of the driving force because that assistant is going to be present for all of the tasks and has to remain sort of neutral as a referee, but also kind of drive things forward when there's like a quiet moment. And there are too many people in the U.S. who are accustomed to reality TV shows when they have something like that, where something will whip up the drama. And, oh, you know, whereas the U.K. version doesn't quite do that as much until, like, after the video's already played. They'll, they'll let you watch, like, an edited version of, of everything where it shows the, their different attempts at a task. And then if someone cheats, for example then that'll be shown at the end as kind of a highlight where they're like, aha, see, we caught you. So that's at least relatively okay. But again, it's all in good fun. So at one point there's like a challenge of eat the most watermelon. And at one point a guy has a little bit of watermelon hanging from his mouth and he goes ahead and eats it after the time has gone off instead of like, I don't know, letting it fall or something like that. And it's like a little morsel of it. And it's like, ooh. You know, so it's big drama played up from something silly as he's on video with a oh, mouthful of watermelon puffing out his cheeks and everything. It's meant to be funny. It's meant to be silly. It's meant to be like, oh, there's lots of drama and tension, but not really. And the decisions of the host, the taskmaster, are completely arbitrary. So it's not meant to be this whole big deal. But, again, we had to have uh, comedians on the show who were very attractive. In order to produce this series, Alex Horn would have had to go around with a bunch of people, probably for weeks, if not months, pitching it to different networks and seeing who would take it. And in the end, the only one who takes it is Comedy Central. I would think that Game Show Network would have jumped right on it. Another problem with all of this as a series is that uh, they allow cursing on Taskmaster to a certain degree, but we don't allow cursing to a large degree on basic cable. So this would have to be kind of a late night show, which means it would compete for a late night slot. And then you have high competition from different networks for that alone. So, yeah, Comedy Central might have gone with it, but they have The Daily Show. They, they always have competition for this kind of thing. So it would have been very difficult to find the right niche for that. Okay. Beyond that, I'm, I'm trying to think of what other networks might have done better with it. And this was one of the reasons why I said that it wouldn't work in the United States. You might have had luck with it on Bravo. You might have had luck with it on a couple of other networks that, you know, do, don't really have a late night uh, programming. But another issue for it is that there's just, a, there's just not as much of a market for a show like this. Because you, it, it's meant to be light entertainment, but it's a competition. And competition in the U.S., as I said, is not really considered light entertainment. So we don't have these kinds of games 
where it's light entertainment, but you don't win anything for it. We have game shows like Jeopardy, um, The Price is Right, Wheel of Fortune, um, uh, all that kind of thing, where you win prizes at the end. You win cash. And this one, it's celebrities on. They don't win anything. The, at best, they might win money for charity, which leaves the audience walking away feeling good. And it's like, oh, well, I, all the charities get a certain amount of money. But the other side of it is that these networks would not be interested in a show like this. It, it's really a, it's really difficult to, to kind of figure out a spot for it. Fox probably would have been the best choice for it, in my opinion, just because they would have done better with it, and then they would have shown reruns on FX and FXX and all that stuff. So they could have done better with it, but I'm guessing that they passed on it right away because it was such an odd duck out of all of the series that they could have produced. Okay. So it's not a surprise that the show didn't take off right away. Uh, you look at what kind of tasks they had to do. Um, so a lot of these were borrowed from the UK series. One task in the first episode was get the basketball through the basketball hoop. You may not touch the basketball with your hands. You may not wear gloves or anything that could reasonably be construed to be gloves. Okay. Another task was do something backwards that will look impressive when the footage is reversed. And then uh, the live portion was pop, do it, pop up your tent. It's like a pop-up tent. Then go in the tent, zip up the tent, open the backpack. You know, so you have a backpack, you have a pop-up tent. Get into a onesie and then come out of the tent. Okay. So that's just one episode. No prize task, no prizes that they take home at the end of the episode, which is a nice little bookend. It's like, and they remind you throughout the show of like some of the crappy things that the contestants have brought in that are like silly and ridiculous and whatnot. So you've had this warm up at the start and you've got this goofy scene at the end where they've got all this ridiculous flotsam at the end that helps the process work. It helps the episode function. Another um, another one that they took directly from the UK series is paint the best picture of a horse while riding a horse. You may only paint when your horse is in motion. And so this is, um, I, I forget in, in the UK, I think they actually did have a horse. But part of the problem there is you have to have insurance in case the performer hurts themselves instead of just having a certain amount of safety precautions or whatnot. Um, then the next task that they had was remove the table tennis ball from the pipe. You may not move the pipe. So this is one that I've seen a few different times that was in a later series. Um, it had Ashling B, Nish Kumar, um, Sally Phillips, and a few different other people attempting this. And it worked very well as a challenge but it's something where the person has to be willing to humiliate themselves they have to be willing to genuinely show whether or not they're an intelligent person and we don't really prize celebrities for their intellect 
we have celebrities who are incredibly intelligent people. Like Lisa Kudrow has like a degree in marine biology. So she's actually frighteningly smart, even though her character on Friends was meant to be kind of an airheaded, uh, hippie kind of person. Think about that. So she's had to dumb down herself in that particular popular role that she had. But then you see her in films like Analyze This and Analyze That, and she's actually clearly a very intelligent woman. All right. Uh, and then in uh, the live portion, they had people making the longest continuous noise, and there was extra money for the best noise. So, okay, that's pretty cool. And I remember that particular challenge from definitely one of the later seasons. So they had this pool of different tasks, and they were basically borrowing and copying off of the UK from beginning to end. So nothing unique, nothing uniquely their own, except that they were having a new set of people try this out. Yeah. So that doesn't quite work as well, does it? No, I didn't think so. So another version of the show was sold to New Zealand television, and it was called Taskmaster NZ, obviously for New Zealand. And it aired in October of 2020, but was produced prior to COVID-19 hitting New Zealand. So they did all of the... Uh, various tasks and competitions and things like that before COVID-19. So they had to preface uh, some of the videos that they showed with that. But because it was all filmed in uh, the studio with, you know, during the COVID-19 crisis when it was really bad for New Zealand and a lot of restrictions were in place, they had to really take that into consideration. So you had a smaller audience, uh, you know, obviously social distanced and tested and everything, but it was actually a hit. It's been running for three series now, and that's huge. One of the things that they did was they did not require that anyone from the original show, like Alex Horn, come on as the assistant. They had the show hosted by Jeremy Wells who I have no idea who that is, but obviously is like a, a New Zealander who does comedy and is sort of on par with Greg Davies, somewhat older, uh, has been on the scene for a little while. Uh, so that was a good choice, in my opinion, because the U.S. version shows someone who is relatively new. And one of the things about the Taskmaster is they have to have a bit of an air of authority. And Greg Davies has been doing comedy since the 90s and you just have to be willing to go with someone who is a bit older a bit more mature that's part of the challenge they could have had lewis black hosting the u.s version and it would have been brilliant but they didn't do that okay and uh, his assistant was paul williams who had the chemistry down perfectly probably watched a great deal of the UK version in order to get down how he should conduct himself during the tasks and on stage so that he had it down pretty well, because occasionally you'll see him break character and just be himself. And he's 
quite a pleasant, fun, charming guy. And meanwhile, the contestants are the ones being these characters who are, you know, acting it up a little bit for the show. And I will say that the spirit of the show is there and they managed to translate it over by still letting it be a New Zealander show. What do I mean by that? Well, New Zealanders are not British. Like they are, they're British subjects, but they aren't uh, Britons from Britain, if you follow. So people actually from the UK tend to be rather cynical, rather, uh, you know, they can sometimes be a bit smarmy. And sometimes they'll also just kind of joke and, and whatnot. So there's that level when you're doing live entertainment and stuff like that, where they're doing that. Whereas on Taskmaster NZ, a lot of the comedians and contestants are genuinely nice. Like you've heard this probably before that New Zealanders are just genuinely nice. And they'll occasionally be kind of jerks or kind of kind of um, whatever, because it does take all kinds. But so help me. They they actually like cheer each other on during competition, which is like the best show of sportsmanship I've ever seen. If you were to show this to UK viewers, they probably wouldn't get it. If you were to show it to Americans, we would probably like I know I thought these people are just nice. That's like really sweet of them to actually cheer on their competitors. And they, like I said, they get the spirit of the show where it's meant to be a silly competition. In one particular um, event, the live event, they actually had like people bundling up spaghetti with rubber bands and the thickness of their log of spaghetti would be gauged using calipers and um, then they would attempt to break it with like a karate chop and it had to be a clean break or it didn't count. And the first uh, contestant to do it was Angela Dravid. And uh, she was very nervous about it because she was worried about breaking her hand. She had been playing this very meek character throughout the series. And it seems to kind of be just very much who she is. I don't know. It, it didn't seem like she was playing it very much, uh, so much as that's who she is. Uh, because during the tasks, she didn't, like, show a different character or anything like that. She was very subdued. She wasn't super enthusiastic. Well, anyway, um, since she was the first to go, she actually said, I've been the first to go for all of these. Can I not do this? Because this was the last episode of the series. And, you know... The taskmaster was like, nope, you're doing it. You're doing it first. So she went ahead and she broke it. And one of the other contestants, Guy Williams, who's actually brother of the assistant Paul Williams, uh, who's been this loud, braggadocious, very he, kind of a Lord Flashheart kind of character um, all throughout and and has even been like somewhat mean a little bit from one episode to another. Uh, he actually gave her a gentle hug, although it wasn't exactly consensual, but uh, it was obviously meant in like good sportsmanship. So I, I don't think it was like taken badly or anything. Personally, I think that, you know, a gentle pat on the shoulder is about as far as one should normally go, but 
then again, this is an American standard over New Zealanders, but I think that that was still kind of getting a little bit, you know, taking liberties, as it were. Anyway, so the person who ended up winning that um, that particular competition was one of the older contestants, a man by the name of Lee Hart. And he hadn't been doing well at a lot of the competitions, but he just basically bundled up all of the spaghetti that they had in the jar for him to uh, choose from, and he just bundled it all up and went for it and whacked it clean through. And I think it was like, I don't know, 75 uh, centimeters or millimeters or something like that. It, it was a lot. It was a very thick log of spaghetti. So they managed to capture the right spirit of it and still adapt it well for New Zealander audiences, which is one of the reasons why it's had such success. Uh, the most recent series ran from July through September of 2022. So this became like, you know, basically a semi-annual series. They would film for a couple of months and have people doing different tasks at their uh, secret location. And it worked. One of the things about the uh, Taskmaster show is you do have to have, as part of the formula, a location where some of the competitions take place. It has to be kind of an enclosed secret location that not everyone is privy to. You can close it off from the public. People can't look through the windows and see what's going on, that kind of thing. So in the case of the UK version, they had this at uh, an old golf course and park somewhere in London at an old caretaker's house. I'm sure a lot of people know where it is uh, just by coincidence, but they don't necessarily know where, when or whatever they're filming, and they'll often go to other locations as well. Uh, so, it, you know, you won't have, like, looky-loos who are fans of the show or something. In the New Zealand show, they went to, from what I can tell, is, like, maybe just uh, some property with, like, a large house on it that I guess was on the market and it was cheap to rent for filming for uh, every so often. So they were able to use that. Maybe it was already owned by the network and they used it for filming for various things, or uh, they used it as guest housing for celebrities uh, visiting or whatever. I don't know, but uh, it was closed off from the street and you had uh, a large sprawling, uh, open lawn space with a pond and everything. So it works relatively well for a location. But in all, I would say that they managed to do the best job that I've seen so far at recapturing the spark of the original show. And it doesn't seem like the U.S. version would have really done that as well. They still do the prize task. Uh, it's done in almost exactly the same format. So you still get that little uh, part to the show where they'll remind people there are goofy prizes to be won, and at the end you'll see them winning these goofy prizes. So it works as, as a version, as a variant of the show, an international version. And you can watch it for free on YouTube. It's available. Uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And I think it's a little bit more of a kind and sweet-hearted version just because New Zealanders don't really have as much of a mean streak as uh, Britons and Americans do. So kind of weird to note that, but it, it is worth it. And I think it's a lot more family friendly as a result than 
uh, some of the other versions of the show. So another version that I have bothered to watch, because I haven't watched like every version of the show, is Kongen Befaler, which is basically the Norwegian uh, version of the phrase Simon Says. So that at least makes sense as a title for the show. And I've watched it. The Taskmaster is uh, Atle Antonsen. Apologies for pronunciation. The assistant is Ali Vermskog. Again, apologies. I do not speak Norwegian. I have at best studied Swedish. Okay. Uh, so they filmed it in Drammensteater, uh, a theater in the city of Drammen, which is uh, just outside of Oslo. And uh, Antonsen decided that he would step down uh, recently, apparently. Now, this series has it a little bit more mean-spirited. The uh, host doesn't quite uh, take the sort of tongue-in-cheek attitude that Greg Davies does, where Greg will flub a lot of lines as they're filming, so he doesn't take himself that seriously. But it seems like Adela Antonsen uh, does take himself very seriously for the show. And, yeah, as best I can figure, he probably just wanted to step down because it, it just wasn't probably as much fun, which is a little bit difficult when you take yourself that seriously. All right, well, anyway, so they've gone for six series, and it's just worth noting that they, for the prize task, they actually have the contestants hold their prizes in front of them rather than having it, like, in a picture up on the screen, like you have in the UK series or the New Zealand series. That's an interesting difference, because then it has to be something you can actually bring out and present. Now, that might be more of a Norwegian cultural element. That might be something that they changed in later seasons. I don't know. I've only watched uh, part of episode one of season one. And I didn't necessarily find it that difficult with the uh, subtitles or whatever. It was just that there were a lot of cultural differences that made it a little bit challenging for me as a viewer. Uh, most of it f centered around Antonsen as host because he he just wasn't as as silly. Like at first, Greg Davies comes off as this very haughty and, uh, you know, uh, very entitled type of character but if you watch an episode one or two more times and you see some of the outtakes you see that he really doesn't take himself that seriously it's more of just how he presents himself for the show they also will often joke during the show about how uh alex horn is like um greg davies live-in manservant and that's not actually how it is they'll show them like uh doing a little mock abuse of Alex throughout the show but this is all meant in in jest this isn't meant seriously but it's one of the reasons why I said the New Zealand show plays a little bit better for American audiences and families and that kind of thing because they don't go that route um, they do go a little bit with the subservience thing just because the taskmaster is meant to be the final authority and that's just kind of the amusing part well anyway so they'll have Norwegian celebrities come on and, and they'll be like comedians. Uh, so it'll be uh, like, uh, I am going to try and pronounce these names. 
Vegard Ulfeseker, um, Maria Staving, uh, Kelly Hellevang Larsen, um, Bert Ulfeseker, uh, hope, I don't think any relation to Vegard Ulfeseker, uh, and Siri Christensen. So I think I did okay on that. And the challenges are really roughly in the same spirit. They're very similar, but they're not exactly the same as all of the UK ones. So this is interesting because the New Zealand version and the Norway version, the Norwegian version, both have different types of competitions where it's not copy-paste from the UK. And that, I think, helps, especially for international viewers like myself, where what I'm watching isn't basically just an, a, a different version. I actually stumbled across the New Zealand version. I didn't even know that other versions existed. I stumbled across it on YouTube when I didn't notice that autoplay was turned on. And I was like, what the heck is this? This isn't Taskmaster. And then I noticed it said NZ. And I'm like, oh, so it's like a New Zealand version? I was like half asleep. So, yeah. And... I was like, who are these people? I don't know these people. I barely knew anyone who was on the, the UK version, but I recognized them from a couple of other BBC shows that I watched, like uh, QI and um, oh, uh, the Big Fat Quiz of the Year or something like that. So in this particular case for Norway, I am completely and totally out of my depth. But since it's run for six seasons, they seem to have adapted it very well. And hopefully Atlason, or Atle Antonsen uh, kind of lightened up after the first season and whatnot and was willing to, willing to, you know, banter a little bit more and make light of things a bit. I don't know. Uh, but as it is, uh, this, uh, this version is a little bit more serious and a lot less light and funny, but people do obviously seem to enjoy it. Uh, the contestants do seem to be having fun and, you know, aren't just like desperate. Now, we, I do know that Oslo is home to some serious depression. And at one point, I think they had like the highest suicide rate anywhere in the world. So I know that Norwegians can get a little bit stern. They're, they're like very much the opposite of the New Zealanders who tend to get plenty of sun and fresh air and they enjoy life and things like that. So I don't know what Norwegians are completely like. I have met Norwegians and they seem to be very nice people. But then again, I, the ones that I met were in, in like Honolulu. So they were getting enough vitamin D to not be depressed all year round. <laughs> I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, so with that said, let's take a look at some of the other versions. So Le Maître de Jeux uh, is the French-Canadian or Québécois version of Taskmaster. And this is interesting because uh, I did not know that they actually did this. I, I did not know that. I know I know that Canadians and uh, Le Québécois especially are very proud and they are willing to do this kind of thing. So it's just worth noting that they actually have their own version. And it's only been running for a very short time. It only started running in September of 2022 uh, through early December of 2022. Uh, for this one, they actually got a younger Taskmaster, uh, Louis Morissette. And the assistant is a slightly older man named Antoine Vetsina. 
So it's just worth noting that because it's a little bit odd that they would do that. But it does uh, seem to work because they aren't, like, apparently doing away with the show. And it ran for 12 episodes. And it was just fall television. But, you know, that's that's usually a good sign. If they're able to run it for all 12 episodes throughout uh, the fall season... That's a good sign it'll be back. So, all in all, positive. Um, I haven't watched it, so I can't rate it or evaluate it on any level, but uh, at least there are good indicators for that particular version. And at least I do speak some French, so I might be able to watch it and enjoy it a little bit more than... Uh, the Norwegian version where I do not speak Norwegian. <laughs> there were a lot of cognates from Swedish and German that I noted. And that was about it. I can watch something that's in Dutch a lot easier than I can watch something that's in Norwegian. Because there's a lot more cognates between English and German in Dutch than anything else. So, yeah. And just as a final note, Le Maître du Jeu uh, is literally the master of game or games. It, it would it would be uh, of the master of the game. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of an odd phrase in English, but I'm sure it actually means something in uh, French. Anyway, so the Danish version is called Stormmeister, uh, and uh, it aired in 2018 and apparently has been going relatively strong there's not a lot of information on it except that the uh, taskmaster is Lasse Rimmer and uh, the assistant is Marc Lefebvre uh, so interesting worth noting it has apparently been successfully exported to Denmark of all places which is understandable because the Danish do seem to have a lot culturally in common with the Britons. So I think that might be one reason why that works relatively well. So apologies for my pronunciation on this, but uh, the Belgian version is apparently the earliest adaptation of it, and it was called Het Grütze Licht. I'm really sorry how I pronounced that, because that was probably a total just mishmash of sounds that was nothing close to the Belgian. Um, but uh, this one only ran for one season of eight episodes in 2016. So the show differed a lot from the British version, much like the American version, which is probably the reason why it didn't succeed. I personally don't know much about how the Belgians are, but I think that culturally they're a little bit similar to the Danish and, uh, the, uh, and the English on just some very basic levels, on certain particular aspects of culture compared to say Americans and I'm just gonna go with that and they might be a little bit culturally similar to Le Quebecois but that's about the limit of how far I'll go but some of the reasons why some of the ways that they changed it rather were that they only featured four fixed panelists per series so just for the the entire season there were only four contestants throughout and then a fifth person as a guest for each episode. The taskmaster was Gert Ver Verhulst, 
I apologize for my pronunciation. And the assistant was a female assistant named Ruth, or possibly Ruth uh, Beekmans. Again, I apologize. Uh, but they also didn't feature a grand prize of the Taskmaster Trophy, which was one of the important aspects from the very first season of the UK show. Now, in the first season, they basically just got an old karate trophy and uh, stuck it on a uh, on, on a little uh, podium kind of thing. and Or a pedestal, rather. And that was it. That, that was that was a prize. So when they did like a, a tournament of champions where you actually won a golden body to go with the golden head of Greg Davies, and it was like a big Oscar statue style uh, style body uh, that was in scale with the head, then uh, they actually ended up giving the grand prize of the tournament of champions to the first year's. Uh, the first year's winner, Josh Whittacombe, who won that karate trophy. So the statue ended up with the head of a karate trophy. And it was a wonderful sort of final joke, and I'm sure it was planned from the beginning. But it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful, uh, just how hilarious that was. So it's weird that they took so many liberties, but I think that that kind of explains why it didn't hold up. Because you, then you don't have an incentive to watch. If there's no grand prize at the end, what's keeping you watching from one week to the next? Uh, now, part of it is you also want to have rewatchability to the episode. You want to... Uh, so, for example, uh, one of the ways that the Taskmaster channel on YouTube kind of promotes itself is with highlight reels from different challenges that have been, that have been set over the course of the series run. Uh, sometimes highlights just from one particular task. And it's like, oh, if you want to see more, then you want to watch the entire episode here on our YouTube channel. So that at least makes some sense from a cross-promotional standpoint. But... I can understand completely why Hetgrutz de Licht, uh, apologies on that pronunciation, I'm mangling it, uh, probably did not hold up. Because they went too far off the formula. The New Zealander version stuck to the formula. The Norwegian version stuck to the formula. And that's a primary component. If you find a formula that works... And it's, and it's a successful formula for the show. It, it works very well. You don't want to stray too far from that. That's an important aspect. You have to let people sort of get into it and understand it in order for it to work for people rather than saying, okay, well, we're going to completely change it and retool it. That was the big problem with um, the adaptation of Red Dwarf was they just decided that it was going to be a weekly series that would go throughout uh, the entire you know school year kind of run that we normally have when it really would have worked better as a summer series where you would have had a limited number of episodes only for a few months and then you wouldn't have really wanted to introduce all the characters right out the door because as it is 
they went ahead and introduced Crichton right out the door. And then they had the cat, but they decided to make the cat into a sexy woman. (laughs) And while you can make that work, you still have to have a certain amount of banter and, and interplay and, and whatnot, where the characters are sort of ripping on each other and insulting one another. And it's, it's a lot harder to have that dynamic when one of the characters is this beautiful, sexy woman. So yeah, it, 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 they went so far off the formula. They went so far into strange places that they didn't really understand the show. The American uh, producers just did not get it. And that's a problem. They mostly reused model shots from the original UK series, which is fine. That saves a little bit on production. But then the sets looked like they were just taken from a Roger Corman sci-fi movie and then had, like, really bad lighting, which is fine for after uh, all of the people on the ship have died, but it doesn't really work well for at the start of the show because they actually bothered to have a little bit of a difference in different parts of the ship for, like, how the lighting is. When you're in the corridors of the ship, it's a little bit more dimly lit, especially after humanity has died, because some of the lights have burnt out. The the ship uh, hasn't been occupied for a very long time, and everything's still kind of powering up. And the only areas that were well-maintained were the bridge and the crew quarters, because Dave Lister is the only uh, human left alive aboard the ship because he was in stasis and shielded from the radiation blast. Um, So it gets into an odd area with this, because for the U.S. version of the show, they also decided instead of having Lister be like just someone, just like any old schlub, kind of a slob and whatever, they chose a guy who was like six foot two, had a athletic linebacker, build with like abs and everything and was movie star handsome like he was literally in movies later that decade that's how bad it was and dave lister is supposed to be the last guy you would want to be the final survivor of humanity right i mean when they did the casting this is one of the notable things craig charles wasn't a comedian he was a poet That was his role. That was what he did. He wrote poems and he recited them for people. And like he would do this on TV as his act. And it was it was genuinely interesting. He was a good poet. Chris Berry was known as an impressionist. So he wasn't uh, much of a comedian either, especially not an actor. But during those first couple of seasons of Red Dwarf, they genuinely had good acting. Like they gave these two guys the chance to act, and it's also notable that the two actor, the two performers hated each other. They genuinely did not get along, so that got channeled into every scene where they were just, um, they they were just at each other's throats and uh, always like just fuming at each other and and feuding and ready to walk off the set and just quit and and everything because they could not stand one another. So. That was great. One of the things about uh, the cat was that he wasn't played by an actor either. He was played by a dancer. 
named Danny John Jules. So he's gone on to do other things. He was, uh, uh, let me see, I think it was called Maid Marian and Her Merry Men, which was kind of a retelling of Robin Hood that had made Marian as the actual leader of the group and had Robin Hood as kind of a, a, a distraction, a figurehead that threw people off of Maid Marian's scent, as it were. And uh, it, he was great in it. He was also in Blade. He had a small bit part, and uh, his character got killed as one of the vampire vampire hunters. So a vampire who hunts other vampires. <laughs> yeah. And this was with, like, Ron Perlman and everything. This was in, like, Blade 2. But you can check it out. It And he's great in it, but it's a very small part. I, I don't think he has very many lines. But he's a phenomenal dancer. And the thing that he brought to the performance as the cat was the physicality of the cat where he could do the strut and he could do all of the various acrobatics that cats are known to do as they're wandering around your home. So this was a really great way to have it be a good adaptation uh, of what the writers intended. They literally didn't bother having any specifics about who and what the characters looked like. So they bothered to cast a black actor as the cat and they bothered to cast uh i think uh i think craig charles is interracial uh but uh you know they bothered to cast two people of color as leads in this show and have uh the only white people on the regular cast uh for the first couple of seasons be the computer and a hologram of a very snooty uptight guy and it worked. It's one of the most popular shows that the BBC has ever run. It's uh, it's a cult show with a huge fandom, and it's uh, had several uh, international adaptations where they've mostly just dubbed over uh, the uh, series. Uh, the actors have gone on to do other things, like uh, Craig Charles for a while was the host of Robot Wars, uh, where uh, these uh, basically nerds get together and they build uh, battle robots to fight it out. Yeah, if you haven't seen Robot Wars, that's a whole other thing. That was uh, something that actually got aired on PBS uh, back when I was a kid. Uh, but yeah, it, it can just be amazing what uh, you get into with that kind of thing. But they had a tremendous amount of success. Chris Berry uh, had uh, a small part in the, um, in the Lara Croft Tomb Raider series of movies with Angelina Jolie. So when you do something right, it can lead to greater and greater success. But the U.S. version had like just an actress. Uh, I think it was uh, the actress who played Dax on Deep Space Nine. I'm blanking on the name just this second. Um, but she played the cat in one version of the pilot. Uh, they didn't bother having a dancer. And... She delivered the, the comedy lines great because she's an actress. But you have to have the physicality. And she just didn't put that into her performance and they weren't willing to do that because her whole point was that she was sexy and she was eye candy for the audience. But that's not who the cat is. The cat isn't supposed to be eye candy for the audience. The cat is supposed to be a cat. It's a humanoid person but it's a cat. Everything about the character is defined 
by the same attitudes as a cat. So they just didn't get it in the American production audiences. They didn't bother clearly watching the show and appreciating all of the stuff that they had gone into by the time they were in like their, um, I think third or fourth season when uh, they were scouting this. And they were trying to poach David Llewellyn from the UK series, which caused a lot of contention instead of bothering to have their own American actor do it. They weren't following the formula. They weren't bothering to adapt it well enough. Meanwhile, there were fans of the British show here in the U.S. who absolutely loved it, and they'll watch the U.S. version of the show and say, this is so far off the mark because they aren't bothering to do the comedy. They're focusing too much on the sci-fi instead of letting the sci-fi be sort of a backdrop for the comedy, which is how Red Dwarf works. Likewise, uh, a lot of the comedy in Taskmaster, the actual subject of this recording, is uh, a backdrop, is, is sort of there with the competition as a backdrop, rather. So that's the reason why the show works there. They let the comedy come from the actual competition. They let the comedy come from the people in the moment. These funny people, they let them just sort of be themselves. And part of the humor comes from seeing just how badly the task can go and seeing how these people handle defeat. You know, it, it's just weird that so many different uh, cultures just don't understand it. The Belgians went so far from the formula that it didn't work. The Americans went so far from the formula that it didn't work. Meanwhile, I can sit there and pull up an episode of the UK version of the show and I can actually enjoy myself. I can watch the New Zealander version of the show and I can enjoy myself. But the... Uh, I, I swear to you, I don't think that I would like watching the American version of the show because it, it would feel so cut short by not having the prize task at the beginning and not having the reminders of that as part of the episode and then have that be the final sort of bookend at the end of the episode. They weren't willing to actually produce a series where the episodes would run for an hour. I don't know. It, it strikes me as so odd that they could get so far off the mark, but they, one of the reasons why I said this wouldn't work is because we don't really have panel shows in the U S where people are allowed to just sort of speak off the cuff to a certain degree. Now, you have shows that recently got canceled in the UK, like Mock the Week, where that actually uh, had them scripted. That was all scripted, but it was staged as if it was um, as if it was all improvised and off the cuff. But it's not. Uh, this was something that comedian Ross Noble actually got very much in a huff about because it was presented to the people as if it was all done just improvised in the moment when in fact it's not but we don't have shows like that we don't have never mind the buzzcocks we don't have qi we don't have a lot of these series and a lot of americans wouldn't get it if you were to watch qi and have an american version they'd be like okay so what does the person win if they win the episode and it's like nothing there's the great british baking show aka um Bake Off, you know, in, in uh, the UK, it's called the Great British Bake Off, but in the US, it's called the Great British Baking Show, because 
of course it is. Because if they were to call it Bake Off, then that would be like uh, a competition, and then they would we would go, okay, well, what did they win? And it's like, nothing. You win an apron, and uh, a few people will praise you for your baking skills. That's it. And in the U.S., we're always like, no, you should win like $10,000 or something like that. It's like, no, you don't get anything. Every episode of QI, they don't give away a prize. Sandy Toxfeek for like one season would give away kind of a booby prize um, just for whoever was the winner of the episode. But that quickly went away in later seasons. When she first came on, she started introducing that as kind of a gimmick, but it went away. And it would usually be something related to pigs or something like that. Um, but it went away after uh, that first uh, season or two where she was on as kind of just a way to be like, yay, or something like that. Kind of a little positive note. But they went through the first several seasons of QI with Stephen Fry without anyone getting a prize. <laughs> you just didn't get a prize. Uh, likewise, never mind the Buzzcocks music trivia challenge show with two teams. You never got a prize for winning that. So I don't think Americans would have understood a competition with just a panel of people all goofing around on one another. And the competition means absolutely nothing because we take competition so seriously in this country. As I've noted before, we would have to have a prize and we wouldn't want to see our celebrities making fools of themselves because that's normally for the tabloids when someone is embarrassed or something like that. But just having a person make a fool of themselves when they're an up-and-comer or something like that, that's supposed to be something they're embarrassed about. Like, oh, when uh, Sandra Bullock uh, got the uh, got the lead in the sitcom version of Working Girl. Yeah, that's a real thing. That was like her big breakout role in her early days from her... Uh, relative obscurity in some of her earlier work. Uh, like her first actual gig as an actress in New York was um, in a film called The Hangman. And then her second role, as I recall, was um, in, what was it? Um, Who Shot Pat Akango? This uh, 1950s nostalgia piece uh, that was like an independent movie made by um, made by uh, this um, student director who was like just out of film school and the film was like produced by her father who like worked as a cinematographer for a lot of big productions well anyway so that was her second big role and her big breakout role was in a cancelled sitcom of Working Girl but like that's where you're supposed to have the embarrassing thing for a celebrity but some of these people who were on the comedy central show were already established comedians and some of them were up and comers so they i, I think in that case alex horn kind of informed the produ the producers of exactly who they should cast for the contestants in the series and shaped that pretty well but by letting them cut the prize task and cut the runtime of the show down it just didn't work. And they needed to be willing to let that show play out and come up with some original tasks that weren't just copy-pasted from the uh, UK series where you know they, they wouldn't quite get it. Cutting it down to a half-hour format may work if you're trying to compete with, say, I don't know, uh, Wheel of Fortune or something like that, but 
it's not a show that gives a prize. It, it just, yeah. I can understand completely why it didn't work and why it wasn't a hit after only one season. Uh, but in all, I am glad to see that the series has gained a relatively popular um, following following the um, flailings in Belgium and the and uh, the U.S., where other series bothered to stick closer to the formula and didn't stray too far, because that's an important aspect. I watched part of an episode of Just Call Me Cat, the aforementioned adaptation of Miranda, and it was awful. They had completely changed the nature of it. They chose an established actress in Maya Bialik rather than going with someone who is relatively unknown and who could really play the part. Maya Bialik has been an actress since she was a child. I'm sure a lot of us remember Blossom, but she was also in like an episode of MacGyver before that. You really want to pick someone who's relatively unknown and can play the part well, and I think in this case the producers went with someone who was a known element who had been on sitcoms for a long time, starting with Blossom and moving forward with The Big Bang Theory and other series like that. So it just didn't work. And also, Miami Alec's like in her 50s now. <laughs> and it's like, you really wanted to go with someone who was in their 30s. That's not saying that Miami Alec's not up to it or trying to be ageist or whatever, but you really want to go with someone who is in their 30s, maybe their late 20s in order for the show to work, in order for the show to have the right chemistry and appeal to the same audience. One of the reasons why Miranda latched on as a show for me was because it was this show about a woman who didn't really know what she wanted to do with her life. And she was just trying to navigate it and get through it. And, and uh, she found herself in all kinds of awkward and embarrassing situations that were somewhat outlandish. And it was fun. And she didn't always get along with her parents and everything. So it worked. I don't think Just Call Me Cat works on the same level. The jokes just didn't translate as well when you have a 50-year-old doing that. All right. Well, anyway, with that said, as I mentioned, it's fun to see other versions of the same series with different tasks assigned that aren't just a complete copy of the UK series, so it winds up feeling a lot more original. That way, fans of the show like me, who have watched all of the various episodes of the UK series, can go ahead and watch uh, versions of this show in other countries and go, oh, yeah, that's pretty fun. That's interesting. I like that. It works, you know? Uh, but the important thing, as I mentioned, is, is that you stick close to the formula, you don't go too far, and overall that seems to be what's working the most. They bother to, to uh, keep to the formula, not vary it too much, but let it also be adapted by just letting the people from that country be from that country. So the banter is uniquely New Zealander or Norwegian or whatever. So that's where you let the localization kick in. But you don't go too far is the point you don't you don't um you don't scale it down and trim it back and treat it like some parts are super problematic you want that to actually be part of it because it'll make it work a lot better 
and it'll be unique enough that it won't be too much of a challenge to sort of cross over culturally. By having just that framework, that structure, it ends up giving a person room to sort of explore the format and fill in a lot of the gaps. In the U.S., we're not very creative when we want to adapt these things. We go with much more known elements, like sex appeal, or known actors, or what have you. We don't challenge the format enough. To, We don't challenge the audience enough, really. We want everything to be so conventional that the audience's can almost not even tell the difference between one series and another. And that itself is just so problematic from a cultural level, because then how are we supposed to grow? And how are we supposed to respect one another's differences? Oh, I like this show. Well, I don't like that show. Okay, well, that's understandable. Oh, uh, you don't like that show? How can you not like that show? I live and breathe that show. That is the only show I ever watch. There are some people who are like that when it comes to like keeping up with the Kardashians or something like that. That becomes their whole world. They've actually found that this influences people psychologically. Whereas if you actually have a variety of different forms of entertainment, you tend to be much more versatile and flexible as a person. You tend to reflect better on interpersonal differences and not necessarily see people who are different from you as a threat. This is a genuine phenomenon in our society where we have gone so far into a very homogenous, monocultural view of things that we don't challenge ourselves to see outside of our own limited perspective. We don't bother thinking around situations. We don't bother thinking even very laterally about things. If you're going to think laterally or whatever, then it has to be about you being clever. So it has to stroke your ego in some way instead of just, you know, whatever. It's, it doesn't, not everything is about ego in terms of competition, in terms of whatever. You can look silly in front of the entire country and still be respectful and respected as a human being. It doesn't mean that, you know, you can never show your face in public again. Who? That's what we tend to do with our celebrity culture. They can't look human for a moment. We can't bother ever possibly having uh, our cultural zeitgeist change in any way, shape, or form. We are so stuck in a lot of the culture that we had circa 2005 that it's been a bizarre situation since then. I've noticed it. We have stagnated as a culture. Uh, well, anyway... Thanks for listening to all this. What do you think about all the things that I've said here? Personally, I find Taskmaster to be a little bit of a good show, um, especially for light entertainment when I don't really have anything else to do or watch. Uh, I, I find that it works as a series uh, pretty well, especially because it has a limited number of episodes, so you're not watching each week, day to day. It's not a reality show. It's, it's not heightened up for drama. And none of the competition is to be taken that seriously. Um, if you were to adapt Taskmaster in your own way and uh, maybe uh, make some changes, what changes might you make uh, if uh, you've had a chance to see the show and 
uh, sort of get an idea of what it's all about. What what changes might you make uh, to the series in all? Uh, personally, I think that uh, I think that it works okay. It it works pretty well as long as they allow a lot of the banter and cultural stuff to sort of translate well and just let the people sort of be themselves. Uh, and in terms of um, overall play, I think that uh, the show has a lot of rewatchability because you can rewatch certain challenges and whatnot. You can hear certain jokes and gags replay over and over again because the show isn't too timely. It's, it's, uh, it's not too caught up in current events. Uh, unlike uh, some shows like Mock the Week or something like that, where it's very much a timely show. It, it's very much relevant to that week or that year and not too much else. Well, anyway, thanks for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.